Welcome in, folks, to another episode of The Prepared Mindset as we settle into the month of February, officially. And, you know, all kinds of stuff going on out there. Our president continues to look the fool. Uh, Now, he's been in multiple interviews. Uh, He he can actually not remember. Uh, This is at at least at the, the date of this recording, so this is February 8th. There were instances where he was interviewed around classified documentation, uh, which this is like an ongoing thing from earlier in his administration. He can't remember when he was vice president. He has now also addressed the media, I believe it's twice now, at least once for sure, where he said that he had just recently spoken with the former president of, I want to say it was France, who's been dead since 96, and then somebody else. So uh, it's a really, really strong look uh, for Joe Biden as we ramp up into election season. Uh, I, I really, I, you know, I try not to say um or to stammer doing this stuff, but man, kind of at a loss for words as to what you're supposed to say to that. And for those that are out there thinking this should be a shoe in there's no way this guy should win the election again because the Democratic Party has come out and said that they're going to put him up again. There, there was a lot of us that thought there was no way Biden was winning the last election uh, because it was just... There's just no way it was too obvious that Trump would be the better choice. And yet here we are after three and a half years of... What I would, well, not really three and a half yet, but what I would roughly equate to hell on earth. It's been really, really bad. And it's not just because he's a Democrat and I, I disagree with, you know, all the stuff that aligns with, or most things I should say that align with the Democrat playbook. It's just, you know, how he's done business, the the bad politics, the absentee presidential, you know, administration where he's he's really, really deferred to his press secretary to address the people he's not out there talking and when he is it's really really bad and when he does he doesn't take questions say what you want about trump but i mean at least he talked to people i mean he was very blatant on on the microphone and a lot of people criticized him probably rightfully so for how he addressed folks in the media specifically but at least he got out there and did it biden doesn't (laughs) split it however you want but he doesn't do it so uh, we we continue on uh, this week. We have the there were some news, I guess, on the Crumbly case, who is the mother of the Oxford High School school shooter, and that actually is a really it's interesting for two things. Uh, one is it ties directly into this week's episode, but two because it potentially sets some very dangerous precedents. And if you guys have been listening to the media, if you've been watching the news for the past 20 years or so, basically since the assault weapons ban expired, there's been a large push from the left side media and the left wing politicians, right? That we want to hold gun manufacturers liable, right? We want to hold parents liable. We want to hold more people liable uh, and responsible to cast a wider net to dissuade people from owning firearms. And in this instance with this school shooter, because the mother knew of things that were going on and knew of the firearm and did nothing to secure it, she was found guilty of manslaughter. So, uh, and I'm 90, you know, as I'm saying this out loud, I, I'm like 90% certain that that is the actual verdict. I know the cases was ongoing or the, the, the trial I I should say was ongoing, but, um, it's, it's what we're going to talk about or part of what we're going to talk about, you know, uh, this week as I'm joined uh, by 
Jason, or you guys might know him as Beard Mohawk on Instagram. And we're going to get into the legal side, some of the nuance to the legalities behind self-defense, all right, specifically around the application of firearms when it comes to self-defense, because I know there's plenty of you guys out there who carry a gun every day, and you definitely should. And there's more of you that probably carry a knife too, and you'll talk about your EDC, and this is my backup blade. Hey, I'm here for it, guys. I think it's all good shit. However, I know that most of you are not carrying any kind of concealed carry insurance, and you don't know the legal limits behind what you can and can't do. And I know there's even more people out there who own firearms, don't carry daily, and don't know their own limitations around what they can do to defend their own home, right? I've I've had people tell me that they're going to use their rifle. Maybe it's something that they just bought for home defense, or it's something they used to hunt with, and they'll dual purpose that setup for home defense. Tell me that they're going to shoot somebody if they ever try stealing their car, that, you know, if they ever try taking anything off their property, whatever. And there's lines that are drawn in a legal sense, right? Where you, for the most part, have to defend, you know, life and uh, protect people from serious, grievous injury. Uh, There's, you can't use it. You can't, you cannot as a civilian, I'm pretty sure as a law enforcement officer as well, protect property with deadly force. It raises a lot of legal issues. So we're going to get into all of that because there's a bunch to it. And if you're going to accept the responsibility of carrying a firearm and using a firearm and building a home self-defense plan, right, uh, for yourself or for your parents or you and your parents, uh, you know, assuming you guys like live separately and, and you're, you're putting together a plan, right? So much what we talk about here is about, is about the, the plan, right? If things are to go sideways like they did four years ago and like many of us expect them to do in about, I don't know, uh, hopefully in eight months we don't see it, but or sorry, nine months, we don't see that, but there's certainly the possibility that we could, right? So hopefully that's not something that we have to look at seriously and consider, but there is always that possibility, So knowing where your limits lie, assuming that, you know, we don't completely plunge into chaos and, you know, knock on wood, let's, let's all hope, right? That's not what happens. You need to know where the the lines are drawn what the limits of what you can do reasonably are and what you can expect to happen. The legal side of it is the really, it's the redheaded stepchild of this whole conversation. People don't like talking about it. People don't like to acknowledge it. People don't like to really, in a lot of instances, they don't like to respect the laws that govern what we do here and civilized society has laws. I get the whole, and I quote, free men don't ask permission. Like I, I get it guys. And I know that a lot of you guys hear me say these kinds of things and I'm sure more than a handful, like will go hit the unsubscribe button. They'll go to Instagram and they'll unfollow. And that's unfortunate. And I'm sorry, not really, but it's the world we live in. Okay. Civilized society has rules. It has laws. We have to deal with gun control and firearms laws, right? What Where those limitations lie and what we can and cannot reasonably do. So it needs to be understood what you can do. And that needs to be something that we talk about and at least acknowledge. It's not the sexy stuff. It's not what people really want to, you know, most people anyways, they don't want to hear about it. They don't get amped up like, ooh, you know, ooh, firearms litigation. Man, that just really gets my, my motor running. No, no, it's not, it's not that, but it is an important topic and it's something that more specifically, I don't know that we've really talked about it too much on this podcast. You know, I, I, I can recall an early episode we did talking about 
the amount of gun control legislation that's been passed and, you know, how many bills have been passed stripping away rights versus those that have been restoring rights. And it's like it's a staggering difference. And that's at the federal level, right? It's to say nothing of the state level issues that we all live with on a daily basis and deal with. So it should be a very insightful conversation with Jason. It's something that I'm looking forward to, if for nothing else, than to help broaden everyone else, broaden what you guys know and understand, right? Because it's important. And I want to make sure that if as many of you guys who are out there listening to this and you look to us as a source of information, that this is the kind of stuff that you guys take value from, whether it's the most enjoyable episode we've had or not. I think it's going to be a great discussion, but I think it's going to be really, really valuable in a lot of ways. Now, before we get over to the discussion with with our guest this week, as many of you guys know that are returning listeners, and if you are a first-time listener, welcome. We are a sponsored podcast here. We have some really awesome sponsors that over the course of, I mean, shit, we are actually coming up on four years. Four you guys believe that shit? We're coming up on four years as a podcast, and we've been very fortunate in our time to work with some badass companies, and we have to say thank you to some of those that really, really give us a ton of support to make what we do here, Prepared Mindset, possible, honestly. And first, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon patrons. Uh, you guys are, whether you believe it or not, or realize it or not, you're a direct sponsor of what we do here. You're the largest supporter of what we do here. And your guys' support goes further than you know. So you guys can head over to patreon.com. It's patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. You can find blog posts on there. You can find videos on there, drills, downloadable targets. There's all kinds of stuff. We even uh, have, you know, started pulling in uh, one or two other like outside videos and doing our own blog critiques on some of the things or insightful ads and stuff like that. So there's a lot that goes on over on the Patreon page and you guys can go check that out and and over to our, you know, through our link tree on Instagram and uh, check out everything there. Like I said, the support goes way further than you guys know and we really, really appreciate it. But in addition to all the really, really cool people that are on our Patreon and support us there, we have to say thank you to the companies that support us here on the pod. And I'm going to start with custom night vision. Guys, if you're looking to get into night vision, and let's just be frank, if you're concerned about what might happen later this year, you really, really should try and find a way to invest in night vision if you haven't already. And it can be a lot of things, right? It can be green phosphor. It can be white phosphor. You can do a single tube. Hell, you could even look into one of these new Jerry 31 units that's become really, really popular because of the price point that it comes in at. And guys, custom night vision has all of this and more in stock, whether it's that single tube PVS 14, you're just looking to get into a very basic unit with some very basic capabilities. You're looking to get into binocular like the Jerry 31, or maybe even something, you know, more robust, a little bit nicer, like some 1431 Mark IIs or some Katanas, some DTNVSs. All that stuff is in stock at Custom. And guys, they actually have pictures, right? They put the tubes through the machines. They can give you pictures. They can give you images of what you're going to see in your tube 
when you look through it. So before you go ahead and commit the funds, before you go ahead and you know sign your life away with that credit card information, you know what you're getting. So you're not just looking at some uh, you know stats and numbers, you know signal to noise ratio, which you don't know what that means, or figures of merit or FOM, right? What is it? I don't know. Or high, low? What am I aiming for here, right? They will actually show you a picture of the tube so you can see it before you commit to payment. And if you still have questions, Custom offers a great chat function built into their website so you can reach out and you can have a conversation with not a bot, with not somebody who has just a customer service rep, but an actual team member at Custom who is there to make this the most transparent and enjoyable buying experience that you possibly can have for Night Vision. Guys, head on over to customnightvision.com. Check out all the great stuff that they have for you. They sent me a pair of 1431s with some amazing Elbit uh, tubes and just love, love that setup. It's outstanding. Cannot recommend these guys enough and very grateful to have their support. Also, I have to say thank you to the team over at HRT Tactical Gear. Guys, they've been putting out a bunch of video out on Instagram and YouTube from SHOT Show. They dropped their new pouches for their ARC belt series. I've been running the ARC for the last several months here. It is a great, great lightweight belt option, and they have some amazing placard options as well as their carriers. They're in my opinion, a top-tier nylon company making some really, really well thought out and really cool products. Their Recce placard actually looks really interesting, holds four mags instead of three, has a little bit bigger profile so that you can store more stuff on your chest. I think it's a really, really cool option that they're going to be bringing to market in the very near future. You guys can head on over to hrttacticalgear.com to check out all of that and more. And when I say more, I mean more armor, uh, medical, they have uh, range essentials, they have their own line of the AWLS uh, weapon lights, which a really, really unique take on a weapon light and the tail cap that they have designed on that. It's super cool stuff, you guys. Again, hrttacticalcure.com. Check that out. Pick up some gear for yourself. And finally, have to say thank you to 100 Concepts. Guys, I think everybody knows who 100 Concepts is at this point, All right, but they make some absolutely outstanding gear and they're big supporters of what we do here. They sent me out a set of the Aperture Caps for my 1431s. I've been playing with those. Really, really cool. I think there's a lot of people that are going to dig those things when they finally hit the market. But in addition to that, they offer light caps, scope caps, their hex cap lineup. So if you're running you know, an LPVO and you've got a piggyback RMR or an offset T2 or something, you can pick up the hex caps and make sure that your reflections are dealt with adequately and effectively. They make a ton of really cool products, you guys, and I know they have a lineup of offerings ready to drop for the 2024 calendar year. You guys can head over to 100concepts.com and check all of that out for yourselves and go pick up some new stuff today. So thank you to all of our sponsors. We're very blessed to work with all of them. And honestly, they're all pretty badass companies, guys. Like We wouldn't, we wouldn't bring them on here uh, if we didn't believe that, truly believe that, and want you guys to get into some really good gear that's going to last you a long time and serve you really, really well in a variety of situations and applications. <clears throat> so, uh, but moving on, this is a really interesting discussion this week. It's a very important discussion. Uh, the legal side, like I said before, you know, it's not the most attractive. It's not. It's not the sexiest thing. Uh, it's a sobering thought. The day that you do employ some of these uh, self-defense skills, your concealed carry handgun, right? Or it, it doesn't even have to be that. I've heard stories of people that have been arrested for brandishing because they're 
t-shirt rode up when they were at the gas station. Some lady freaked out, called the cops, and they had to go to court and deal with it. There's a lot of legal implications just to having a gun on you. Whether You may not even draw it, you may not use it, but it's a conversation that you need to have, and it's you know, it's just part of the of the deal, you know, part of the gig, as they say. So this should be a very interesting and insightful discussion, and I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are as well. And with that, I will go ahead and I will cut us over to my conversation with Jason. Jason, welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Uh, I'm I'm gearing up i'm i'm ready for the discussion this is uh i was talking about it when i was recording the introduction uh for this it's it is not the the legal side of things is like not the sexy part that i think people want to acknowledge when we when we have all these discussions you know like everyone loves everyone loves talking about optics and shooting and night vision and it's all it's all good you know um but no one likes well i shouldn't say no one most people, right? You don't you don't ever want to acknowledge like the seriousness and the gravity, right, of what happens should you seriously employ most of these skills that we're all, you know, working working on and building uh and and I think that's pretty much what we're going to talk about, <laughs> you know, is is all the in case of ever having to do that what might happen. So mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, I will ask you to just go ahead and uh, if you want to introduce yourself to the, the listeners. Sure. Uh, I've been practicing law in Mississippi for about 19 years. Um, I'm admitted to practice in all of our state courts, our Southern Federal Trial Level Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. Uh, about 10 years ago, I became an NRA certified pistol instructor with my company called Center Mass Mississippi Firearms Training. I teach classes in personal protection inside the home, personal protection outside the home, basic pistol. We have in Mississippi what's called enhanced concealed carry. There's various tiers. Um, We also work with church security teams and individuals to make them a little better shooter. Not going to make them snipers, but we're going to at least make sure they're safe and somewhat proficient with their firearms. We teach a lot of beginners, new new classes for those folks. So Um, I frequently lecture on use of force with individuals, you know, in self-defense scenarios and the laws that would pertain to that. Um, my practice is kind of a general practice. I handle various kinds of cases, mostly civil, just a little bit of criminal, but um, got an interest in guns and just have kind of gotten into that over the years with teaching the classes and being asked questions. And mm-hmm. all. I've got degrees from various institutions for criminal justice, uh, political science, and from the University of Mississippi, a Juris Doctorate, which is the law degree. Um, since 2019, I've served as a sworn certified law enforcement officer. Um, I work part-time with a local police agency, and I think that enables me to give a unique viewpoint to my students with the gun classes, uh, wearing my lawyer hat for part of the discussion and the policeman's hat for another. Um, students can ask me situational questions, what if this, what if that, and I can give them my legal opinion, uh, whether they're justified to defend themselves in that situation with lethal force. Yeah. Um, and in December, I became a uh, NRA law enforcement officer, pistol and shotgun instructor. Very fun class that took all week, 44 hours, I think, but it was more like 60 hours with the night shooting and all we put into it. That was a lot of fun. So I've been just starting to get into that. Um, I'm one of the newbies out there uh, running the gun range for the police agency. So I'm, I'm low man on the totem pole, introducing my ideas and 
you know, that kind of thing. Right. Right. No, man, that's, that's, that's a lot. Uh, and that's definitely, I was going to say, gives you the unique perspective being in the, like the law enforcement shoes, right. Being able to actually experience, see an experience, uh, and then on the legal side of it, knowing kind of the other, the other half of that world and how they, they play together. And I'm sure you probably get a ton of questions in your classes, uh, uh you know, that having both of those perspectives make it, uh, it's just easier, right. To give a more, uh, well-rounded answer or explanation to people, uh, especially because when we get into, <clears throat> excuse me, when we get into a lot of the law specifically around carrying and it, and so it's probably going to be a little bit different where you're at in Mississippi. I'm up here in Michigan, but in general, it's very, I mean, the fact that the laws are not the same state to state is, is enough to drive you insane. Right. Uh, right. but most of these classes and things really, like I remember when I took my CPL class here and when I did the refresher, uh, which I might be next year, I think I'm due again. It's just to cover liability. You know, it's just to cover the basic, you know, laws and things like that. And I think some of it's kind of ambiguous too. It's, it's kind of almost like it's left vague on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, have you, do you run into quite like a lot of that or a lot of concern people have over, well, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm second guessing whether I should even, you know, carry a gun or have a gun for home defense because of that. Absolutely. Um, with our, we've got statutes that cover justifiable homicide, two particular subsections, cover individuals. Most of it's law enforcement covered, but those two are, are pertaining to citizens. And we get a lot of questions and I have to say, well, I'm going to have to give you the law, the lawyer answer, which is it depends. It's very fact intensive. Yeah. And if you look at some of the jury instructions you might be facing, if you were charged by a prosecutor here, when you use self-defense, you know, in a lethal type situation, um, the jury to consider all of the facts. I mean, every, every detail can come up anything you said, um, your blood alcohol content, et cetera, anything witnesses saw. So it's a lot of it is left vague to have the jury make a decision such as is a reasonable person, what I have done, what they did in this circumstance. And then they have to, of course, look at the statute you're charged with, if that was the case and make sure they meet every single one of the elements. Yeah, we do get a lot of those gray area questions. So, and that the blood alcohol one is, I mean, honestly, it's probably one of the easier ones to try and avoid, really. I mean, uh, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I know a lot of people, uh, whether you're you're just a CPL instructor or you're somebody that teaches uh, classes for a living, right, or, or, or anything in between, right, uh, some guy that does a podcast like me, a lot of people advocate for, hey, this is why you should have uh, some kind of vault or something tethered in your trunk. So if you are going out and about and you go into an establishment where you could consume alcohol, you have a way to secure that firearm. And for better or for worse, right, you're, you're then protecting yourself from certain conditions and scenarios with self-defense right with a firearm. And I know there's a ton of people out there that ignore that. They, I mean, and I get it. Like you got, you kind of got to weigh it out, right? Like which situation do you want to deal with? Do you want to defend your life, potentially lose your life? Uh, or do you, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Um, and it's unfortunate, but yeah, like when you look at it from a trial perspective, I think almost every state has uh, a law around consumption of alcohol, uh, and carrying a firearm or using a firearm in self-defense is that, I mean, I don't know how well versed you are across the entire country, but I, I think that's pretty consistent. 
I'm not licensed in any state but Mississippi, but I can tell you we don't have a limit for that. It's just another factor the jury can consider. Um, interestingly, oh, okay. I don't know if any other states have this, but we've got constitutional carry where depending on you all, where you are, you can legally carry concealed without a permit. It, it's very, you got to know all the pitfalls and ins and outs or you can very easily run afoul of that law. Um, we also have basic permit where you just apply, take your photo, get the background check, uh, pay your money, and we're a shall issue state. Um, after brewing, I guess pretty much all of them should be. Some of them are still out there trying to to get around that. But so if you meet the criteria, you pay the fee, you get the license within 45 days. Um, the enhanced concealed carry here, you have to take a class like the one I teach. Um, ours is about 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on a given Saturday. And we go over the law and make sure they're safe to shoot and all that kind of stuff. We cover holster options and tactical thinking and, you know, avoiding getting in the situation where you need to use a firearm. But um, with our enhanced concealed license, you can actually legally carry in a bar. It doesn't call it a bar under the statute, but it's a place that serves alcohol, light wine, or beer for consumption on the premises. And that's its primary purpose. And then you get into gray areas like, well, does that mean the bar or the booths or so yeah, if you get your enhanced license, it doesn't matter. So but I still counsel people do not, uh, it's just not a good idea to carry if you're going to be drinking. Cause that again, is going to be a factor that can be considered. Yeah. So, and so is that the big difference between like, like you said, your basic, uh, at least for where you guys are at in Mississippi, right? Between a basic license and the enhanced is that it gives you that ability to carry in some restricted areas or is there additional benefit to going through the training and whatnot? Um, it definitely gives you some legal background. Like you said, you've got a lawyer here answering the legal questions, not just a, a firearms instructor. Um, you can carry at church. Actually, to carry legally concealed at church, you need to conceal the enhanced concealment. Uh, voting booths, college campuses. If you go to a PTA meeting, it opens up a lot more pl places where you can take it. Um, you can go to the courthouse in certain public areas with the enhanced license, like to buy your car tag or pay property insurance. Um, it also, it, it adds two more states. I think we have 35 states with reciprocity with the enhancement. Uh, Nevada and South Carolina, for some reason, want us to have that class. They don't want just a basic permit with no training. And it's just a good idea. I mean, we've had former Navy SEALs take our class, former Marine recon, and then every down, everything down to people that have never touched a gun before. And mm -hmm. all of them say they get some value out of it. The high-speed operator guys, I can't offer anything to improve their shooting. I mean, their their holes are all touching a tight group, of course, but yeah. but they still get something out of the legal portion and you know, tactical thinking and you know the law enforcement side. So, yeah, and and that's that's really you know I, I'm sure right for individuals who are coming out of either a law enforcement uh, career or a military career and transitioning over to civilian life is the understanding that the rules are just different. You know, like you can say that and it's like, well, duh, yeah, of course they're different. But but really, what does that what does different mean? Where where are your limits? Where are your boundaries? Um, and so and one of the other things while I'm thinking about that you, you brought up, too, is constitutional carry, which is starting to finally, thank God, gain traction in our country. Um, and that really does fall in line with. And this is one of the things like I, I hate. I hate this more than almost anything else you see on the Internet is the the free men don't ask permission thing. Um, because like, I, I agree with it, like fundamentally and morally, I agree with it, but I also acknowledge that we're like, you know, a civilized society and we have laws and, and I think the constitutional carry thing is gaining enough momentum that I, th I think within the next 10 years, there's a good likelihood we could see 
the vast majority of the country moving to that. So what does that ex- exactly, what does that mean? It other because I think some people assume it's just a free for all, right? I can have a gun, no questions asked. I think there's some limitations there. Is that, am I assuming right with that? At least in my state, I can speak to. Um, so in our state for constitutional carry, you have to have it in some kind of a holster or a bag, purse, satchel, something like that. In other words, you can't just stick it in your pocket or stick it in your waistband. If you do, you're legally carrying a concealed firearm with no permit. You cannot commit a non-traffic misdemeanor while you're carrying constitutional carry. So wait, you, okay. So with constitutional carry, it has to be in, uh, go, go to that. It's a a bag or something. It has to be actually carried in like an apparatus or would a holster count? Holsters definitely count a pocket holster outside the waistband inside a briefcase, a purse, purse carry is what they called the law when they passed that statute amendment. But um, it allows you to carry anywhere in those places, as long as it's in something sheath, belt holster, shoulder holster, or one of those bags or something like that. We mentioned, So you can't just stick it in your waistband. Anything short of Mel Gibson and lethal weapon. You are okay. I actually agree with that. Criminals often don't carry holsters. They just stick the gun in their pocket or under the seat or in their waistband. So that's, they probably, I don't know for sure, but it's probably based on interactions with police finding okay. that your typical law-abiding citizen is carrying in a holster or one of those other vessels. And I actually agree with that. Like, I know that people get all, you know, they get a bunch of heartburn or don't tell me how to live my life and everything. But like, man, for safety reasons, you really should carry in a real holster. And mm-hmm. the number of people that just on principle alone would object to something like that. It's like, dude, you got the constitutional carry. All we're saying is, we would like you to get a decent holster. It doesn't have to be decent. You can go buy an Uncle Mike's if you want. Not going to recommend it. But like, I actually, okay, I, I like that that's, you know, detailed in there and it gives you some semblance of structure. Uh, right. But it's also kind of funny just because I, I can imagine there's, there's probably those people that would just skip the holster altogether and, you know, shove it in their waistband or shove it in their belt or something or their pocket, which is a terrible idea. I'm. Mm. I, I'm not a fan of pocket carry. I'm really not, but I know there's guys that do it. So teach their own, but you have to have something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part of constitutional carry. And again, most people that they take, they take our class. I'm like, y'all have, y'all have drunk the Kool-Aid at this point. Um, y'all are here. You know, you got the license, but tell your friends who are don't like, why are you taking this class? You don't need to go waste your money on that. Did mm-hmm. they know all the ins and outs of constitutional carry? Cause let's say they jaywalk, they, they cross it a non-traffic you know, crossing walk area, or they're hanging out in the parking lot and they get cited for loitering. Those are considered non-traffic misdemeanors, which is the law makes you, you know, if you commit a non-traffic misdemeanor while you're concealed carrying without a permit, you're now legally carrying a firearm concealed. So unless they know all of that and can avoid those things, it's very easy to run into a situation where they can still be arrested and charged with something. Yeah. It's, it's that like extra layer of nuance that people don't really think about when they think I'm just going to, I'm just going to carry a gun, you know, now that we have constitutional carry there, which it, it sucks, right? It sucks that it, that they're able to kind of stack it that way. Uh, but that's how the law works. Uh, if you don't like it, write to your elected officials and ask them to, or, or call them, email them, whatever, and ask them to take action. That's what something I advocate heavily for. If you don't like the laws, like, what do you, okay, what are you gonna do about it? Because bitching on Instagram doesn't fix anything. And people Correct. hate on me. People hate me for saying that. And, you know, and my favorite people, 
are the ones that uh, that don't want to contribute to that system at all. We'll talk about not voting and not participating in the you know our, our democracy because they they believe they you know they have the moral high ground because all politicians are crooked. And there's probably a lot of truth to that statement, uh, but you, you you have to play the game if you want to win the game, right? So you have to participate, and if you don't like the way the laws are, you have to take the necessary steps to be a part of that. I don't know that we'll ever get away from it, but, you know, take, I mean, it, it, at least be well-educated first off, right? Like taking the class, like you said, it puts you in a much better position to at least understand like, Hey, if I get pulled over, if I get busted for, I mean, even something dumb and you would like to think, and I, I guess maybe you could speak to this, that most police officers in like a loitering type situation would just ask you to disperse. Like, it's not that big of a deal. In most instances, you'd, you'd like to think that your, your local police force would have better things to do than to write up loitering charges, but it's not, there's not a guarantee there. You know, it depends. Right. Very true. Um, the other thing, the enhancement gets you, the, you can ignore certain restriction signs. Like if you've got a private business, if the sign uses what I call the magic language, the carrying of a pistol or revolver is prohibited. That's got to be visible and readable, legible from 10 feet away. You can ignore that sign with an enhanced conceal permit. I've never actually seen that sign in the wild. Um, you always see the red circle with a line through it, a picture of a gun or no weapons. Mm -hmm. Any other sign you can't ignore like that because it's just basic trespassing. So that doesn't really, uh, that's not an important part of it, but that's the other thing the enhancement gets you. Um, you're talking about in, you know, ignoring the law and not liking the law. People don't like it when I tell them that the United States Supreme Court has always said that the government can issue reasonable regulation on gun control firearms. It's never been you can just own whatever you want. I mean, you, you can go back to the 1800s with those cases. Um, so there, I'll say the Second Amendment's my my concealed carry license. Well, I, I agree, and I wholeheartedly support that. I don't think you should be required to take training or get a permit to be able to carry your, your weapon in self-defense, whatever that weapon is. But if you're going to live in a country with laws, you just have to know that the Supreme Court has always said that the states and the federal government can pass reasonable restrictions on concealed carry. And I think, you know, I think I, I speak for a large majority of people. I would, when I say that, I, I think a lot of gun owners, right? We are not necessarily against legislation on firearms. Where the problems come into it, though, is that we've passed so many, and many of which are not enforced. We already have these things on the books, right? And it's just gotten more oppressive and more oppressive and more oppressive, you know? And now it's at a point where it is in some states, like I'll say here in Michigan, and and to be clear, everybody listening, these are my words. It's not Jason. <laughs> this is my, my opinions as a Michigander. Our state is starting to cross that line into from what I used to consider to be a very reasonable amount of regulation here in Michigan. We <clears throat> unless you had some kind of criminal record, I I took my CPL course. I went and went to the county offices. I got my CPL. No problems. Right. Uh, I've never had we don't have issues here with uh, magazine capacity. We don't have issues here with restrictions on ammunition. We don't we don't really deal with or we didn't really deal with anything that most of the country was really, you know, getting all chapped about. We we're very lucky. Well, uh, we had a pretty tragic shooting here in, I believe it was 2021 was the, was the year. And 
that was leveraged uh, by the politicians here, the the Democrats that run our state. And now we have probably some of the most oppressive gun control we've ever seen in Michigan starting. I think it's next week. Actually, we have red flag laws. We have safe storage laws and we have uh, the, a universal background check law, which means basically now that instead of just uh, I, th- I think anyway, instead of just your pistols requiring a background check for private sales, long guns do as well. The safe storage law came, I'm pretty sure, out of this uh, Oxford shooter case. I don't like saying the shooter's names. I don't know about you, man. I don't like speaking. Uh, it just kind of gives, I think, anyways, more like uh, credence to whatever they were trying to achieve with whatever heinous shit they did. Um, right. But, you know, and 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 I don't know what you've read maybe uh, on the national level about safe storage laws in general. But to me, it just feels like another one of those things where, you know, it's not like the police are just going to come into your home to check to see if your gun's in a safe, right? It's just one more, it is something else that's going to be leveraged against lawful gun owners in the event that their firearm is taken, stolen, you know, whatever, and used in a criminal manner to commit some kind of crime. To me, it's just a further detriment and a deterrent, right, to discourage gun ownership. You know, like, should you have a secure way if you have children? Yeah, you should probably. And I'm not a parent. So you guys take this for whatever it is worth to you as a man with no children. You should probably find a way to secure your firearms, you know, or if you go out of town and you don't trust who's watching your house. Right. That's just common sense. Now it's a law, though, and it's prosecutable. I I really think it's just a deterrent to try and get people to not own firearms, really, uh, or, or to punish more people to cast a wider net. Uh, I'd actually, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Jason, because I know that's something that's starting to, that's starting to catch on, unfortunately, in a lot of these states where it just seems like, you know, it, it's almost just pandering. Like, hey, how are we going to say we're doing more to address the gun control issue without actually affixing the gun issue? The quote, I don't believe we have one, but, you know, we're told that we do. It's part of that nanny state mentality where we're not competent enough to do what we need to do to protect our family or, you know, our children from a gun in the home, which if you've got common sense, you would do that. Um, we, of course, encourage that. I go over various safes with our students. You can get them as cheap as $20 that will go in your vehicle and secure the frame yeah. under your seat. Fashion very grab guys are not going to get past that, right? So mm-hmm. and you, your cost of a gun, $500, $800, whatever it might be you can't really justify not getting a $20 safe or $150 safe for maybe the nightstand with your fingerprint type thing. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's part of that is to discourage ownership. People are going to be worried about getting sued or prosecuted. You know, what if I don't do this right? Um, and like you said, it, part of it's just like a, a band-aid soundbite type measure, like the gun show loophole. We're going to fix that. That's not an issue. If you're a yeah, gun, really if you're a licensed gun dealer, you have to fill out the FFL form every time you buy one from them. Now, me as a private citizen, that's a different story, but I can do that at Walmart. I don't have to go to the gun show to do that. So that isn't, it's just, it's feel good laws that don't really change anything or keep anybody safer, but it makes the you know politician look good for the gun control advocates. I do, I do like gun safes though. I've got them, uh, you got to have a fingerprint scanner or some quick way to get it. The RFID, um, maybe a code you type in. You don't want to have to be looking for keys in the middle of the night when you hear that glass break. Oh, yeah. Um, Anything that involves a combination or a number sequence that you, you have to see a pad or something or like it just not not a well thought out solution. Uh, right. For those of you listening that that have that as your, your home defense plan. 
Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, that's, that's just kind of same thing I was thinking. Um, you know, maybe having them in different places in your house. You don't know necessarily you're going to be in the bedroom when the break-in happens. Mm-hmm. A lot of robberies and, and break-ins occur during the daytime when they think nobody's home. So if you happen to be working in your home office, it might be good to keep something in there. There's a need for another gun safe or some kind of measure to keep that locked up without having to look for keys that might be by the front entrance or wherever the person's just come in. Right. Uh, there's all kind of good options and they're budget friendly all the way to as much as you want to spend. Um, I don't think it should be required. I just think it's a good idea. So my, my speech 100%. to the students is you've bought a good gun, hopefully. And if they bought a, a crappy gun, we're going to try to nicely tell them, Hey, this is probably <laughs> not the gun you want to defend with your, you know, defend your, depend on yeah. for your life. Uh, and they'll see it at the gun range. If it misfires and double feeds and fails to eject over and over and over, I'm like, you don't have to take my biased opinion, but did that go bang every time you pull the trigger? That's its one job. Mm-hmm. So you got the good gun. Hopefully you got a good holster, not the Uncle Mike's. That was my first holster when I didn't know any better years and years ago. But I've now I've got a bucket of holsters that we've bought and found out we don't like for various reasons. And we show those to the students, learn from my mistakes. So then you get in gun training, which is good. It's basic. But you got to go to the gun range and practice. One class does not make you a master shooter. And it's a mm-hmm. very... Um, skill that can go away pretty quickly. You got to keep keep the rust off of it by going regularly. You need a gun safe. That's the other part I preach. And then finally, the last part, now that you know the law, do you have a plan for what to do after the shooting? We walk them through what to do if you you know shot somebody or used a bat or whatever the weapon is, would deal with the police, what steps they should go through, what should they say and not say. But once that's happened, what's your plan on defending yourself? So... Um, Prepaid legal plans can be a good option. Um, right to bear is one you may be familiar with. There's several national companies that do this, but basically you you pay them a monthly fee as little as eleven or twelve dollars a month. You can add various add-ons if you want to, but it can be as cheap as that. And you have a lawyer for either civil, meaning you got sued for money, you, you shot somebody and put them in a wheelchair, and now they want to sue you for, you know, causing mm-hmm. that injury. Or criminal. Let's say you got a prosecutor in that area that decides that they don't think it was justified. Well, you're going to have to defend yourself. And I mean, you may qualify for that that public defender, but maybe he's one year out of law school and doesn't really know what he's doing quite yet. Um, they don't teach you to really practice law in law school. They teach you the elements and then you got to go work and figure out the, the actual flow and details of it. But um, having a lawyer or a phone number you can call, I call it the, the bat phone. Um, that's huge because you need to know what to do and after that shooting happens and who to call and are they going to answer the phone and show up for you? Because you're going to have your gun confiscated. You're going to be taken to the local jail or police department for interrogation. It's not like they're going to just show up and say, "Miss Smith, go back to bed. We're just going to mop this guy up that you just shot in your living room and it's fine. It's clearly justified. Because as you probably know, the police don't decide whether you're charged with a crime. That's the district attorneys, the prosecutors that do that. Um, yeah, it's, there's a case in Florida. It's rarely as clean as it looks on on television. I think a lot of people are under the assumption that if it's an obvious case of breaking and entering or home invasion, that they'll just be like you said, we'll 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 clean this up. You go to bed. We're we're terribly sorry. If you need anything, here's my card type deal. And right. uh, as nice as it would be, and I'm sure a lot of us would love that. Uh, that's not the world we live in. It's just not right. I also tell them don't carry an heirloom firearm because in our state, according to one of the students I just had recently works at the crime lab, and she said they're going to engrave it with a case number if they decide to charge you with something. 
So now oh, your shit. grandfather's Colt pistol from 1900 has engravings on the cylinder, on the barrel, maybe on the grip. They put it. She said they do it in three places usually. So that gun's ruined at that point. Even if you're exonerated, I mean, the value's definitely gone down. So yeah, that would hurt. That would hurt a yeah. lot. Absolutely. <laughs> or honestly, even like some of these guys that run really exotic 1911s and stuff, like Dan Wessons and stuff. Like you spend three, four grand on a gun, and then. I mean, yeah, I've seen, teach their own, but yeah, that would hurt a little bit uh, to have that the case number, unless you're proud of it or something, which is weird, but I'm sure there's right. that guy out there who would probably be anxious to tell everyone the story behind it. Um, the yeah. Florida shooter with the um, that followed the gentleman that was walking in the neighborhood. I forget his name now. It's 10 years ago, probably. Tried to auction off his gun that he, he used what he claimed was self-defense to you know for hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to you know just sell it as a novelty he was acquitted uh zimmerman i think was his name i think that is right yeah yeah so, that's weird yeah yeah that, that, that kind weird. of weird guy is out there but that's you don't want your gun engraved you don't want to be in that situation if you can help it so unless you have an attorney that's going to answer the phone at three in the morning or some kind of service that's going to relay that message to him you know you need to have that part of the plan even the ones that take our class usually don't have that part of the plan in place so uh, we tell them to look at that, compare the different companies. One thing I don't like about most of these prepaid legal companies, and you got to read the fine print. I don't know of any that cover you if you're in a place where you're not supposed to carry a firearm. It's not insurance, so it's not like they're insuring you breaking the law, but I really wish they would change that language. I've looked at several different ones, and none of them apparently cover that. Um, so if you're in the gas station and they had a no gun sign and you walked in there and the guy comes in to rob it and you know, it's holding everybody at gunpoint, get some <laughs> staff on their knees and you shoot him in self-defense to, you know, prevent your life or theirs being taken while he's committing that felony. Technically the insurance company or not the insurance company, these prepaid legals could say they won't cover you. Now from talking to them, they said, well, we're, I still think they'd cover you, but I'd like to see them change it to say, as long as you're not committing a felony when you use <laughs> your firearm, which trespassing is a misdemeanor. So if they could change it to that, yeah. I think it'd be a little better. But I, like I said, I haven't found one yet that covers that. And you got to read the fine print. Don't just take their word for it. Well, and some of them too will, some are, I know some are better than others. Um, I know some will like, they'll, they'll pay for a replacement firearm. Cause like you said, yours will be confiscated and they want you to be able to continue to carry. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely, it's definitely worth looking into. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you as a legal professional and as a firearms instructor do recommend those. Uh, I know I get that's an added expense, right? And everyone's pinching pennies these days, right? Like the economy sucks right now. I get it. Like it, it, it sucks. But if you're out there carrying a firearm, realistically expecting that you may ever use it, whether it's just because you have the nerve to, um, cause some people, what they will carry a gun and in, in the moment, they may not, they just may not. And who knows the psychology behind all that stuff. But if it were to ever actually happen, you want I would think anyways, some kind of safety net there. So you're not, I mean, uh, legal fees. I've never, never been sued. Thank God. I'm going to knock on some wood right now. I've never been through any of that shit, but anybody who thinks about any kind of legal tip fees, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's expensive. You know, are you really willing? And this is, again, this is one of those things that just, uh, I don't understand these guys that are so hell bent on denying and defying our legal system in every way imaginable is if you get pinched, for whatever it may be, are you really willing to put your family through that? Cause not just you, 
you're not just losing your $600 Glock 19, you know, or I mean, $2,000 after your RMR and your comp and your light and all, whatever, you know what I mean? Like this is thousands of dollars in legal bills and pay that's lost because you can't go to work on the days you got to be in court or whatever. I mean, this is impactful to your nest egg and your savings account and what your kids are living through and everything. So it's, to me, honestly, if you're going to carry every day, you live in a bad part of town or you just, you carry because you believe in it. I think both are good, but I think it just makes sense to have something there to protect, if not you, your family for sure. And if they say, oh, well, I'll just self-insure. Well, do you really want to spend all of the money in your bank account? Like your family might be relying on to defend yourself when you could have paid, like I said, $12 a month for no cap legal defense, criminal or civil. They even cover me when I'm working. So if I'm working in the law enforcement side and there's a use of force type situation, they they cover me with a lawyer there. You can't assume the agency is going to provide you one. Are they looking out for you or the agency? That could be an issue. And from what I've heard, the... Some of the union folks are, it's a little gray issue, whether they're really there for you or there for the, the agency as well. So if you've got that, that's great. But for 12 bucks a month, you've got your own lawyer who's dedicated to you. And I think that's, I think I did the math on it for what we get for a retainer for a civil lawsuit. Again, you've been sued for money damages, not, not jail time. Mm-hmm. It would take you like 37, 38 years to equal the retainer we'd get. So if you used your policy one time during that 37, 38 years, you got your money's worth. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like a no-brainer, like a $20 safe for your car. I mean, you can't, you should not have it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like you're paying for two homes, except you really don't get to enjoy one. Uh, it, it just, it, I think it makes sense because there's so many, there's just so much to it. You really don't want to face it head on. I would imagine that with the stress and everything else that goes into it, like, and like I said, your family, the expenses, and it doesn't even have to be, and this is the shitty part, and I don't know what the laws are for you guys down, you know, down south and things. Here, one of the stories they told us when I went through CPL classes, they they advocated for, I want to say it was uh, USCCA. At any rate, there was one of their people who had gone through class and didn't, like, apparently was vocal, thought that was a dumb thing. He shouldn't have to pay for something like that, and actually got arrested because his shirt rode up when he was at a gas station pumping gas. And some weird ass lady called the cops and said somebody was out here with a firearm. So he got arrested for brandishing. And then now you're in that whole legal cycle going through your whole ordeal. And no matter how you swing that, you're paying legal fees. Like you're now you're you're stuck in that shit, whether it's right or wrong or common sense or not. Somebody called the cops. They showed up and they decided to arrest you. Uh, Right. And now you got to pay for it. And, you know, if you've got, if you can, again, rely on the public defender, I mean, you're rolling the dice on how good that person's going to be. Not to say there aren't great public defenders out there. Some of them have been doing it 20 or 30 years, but you might get assigned a guy that's brand new and fresh and he mm-hmm. might be his first case too. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I talk about with the students. Um, I've got a cousin who was at a, uh, we call it the good Walmart in a certain area. There's the bad Walmart in the bad part of town and then the good Walmart. We got People that. I think, about that. I think every town has that. You're like, okay. <laughs> oh, we can go to Walmart, like the one by the house. Oh, uh, that one. No, no, no. I'm going to drive right. 20 minutes to get to the nice one. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she encountered a guy that was kind of following her around the store, but not buying anything. So she confronted him. He left her alone. He then approaches her as she's leaving the parking lot. And this is daytime. She's at the third spot from the front of the door. So she's thinking, I'm good to go. 
here he is coming at her with his line of BS, whatever it was. She just shut him down. It was very loud and vocal. I'm not buying you from anything from you. I don't want to take, I can't give you a ride. I don't have any money. Leave me alone. <laughs> very loud and vocal. She also notices that he's making head signals to another guy in the parking lot. Um, if you look at that Georgetown study they did on firearm ownership and the use back in 21, I think it was, which you can find that on the internet, more than half of uh, gun self-defense situations involve more than one bad guy. So mm-hmm. 51% are dealing with at least two attackers or more. So that's another reason I say stay away from revolvers is your primary round, you know, your defense gun, five or six rounds. If you hit them all may not be enough to deal with the two guys, but um but yeah, you control the narrative by calling it in. Ultimately, she pulled her pistol, showed it to him, and they fled. So we talk about brandishing at that point, which it's not brandishing because our statute says it's not brandishing if it's necessary in self-defense, which with the narrative, you have to be able to you know, uh, explain why it was self-defense. But she did the right thing. She called the police. I'm so-and-so. I'm at this location. I've just been accosted we don't know if it was attempted robbery or kidnapping or what it was going to be she didn't let it get that far thankfully but she controlled the narrative like you said let's say somebody down the parking lot sees her pull a gun out and then people are running away from her which is the two bad guys well they don't hear all this exchange so they call the police and say hey y'all gotta get over to walmart there's a crazy lady waving a gun and you're just gonna shoot a bunch of people they're running now you got the swat team looking for you so it's better to call it in control that narrative um, in that situation, they didn't catch the two guys, but at least, you know, she didn't end up becoming the the defendant, if you will. Well, and also, and and you can't control when that's going to happen, obviously. But I I think it also speaks volumes for one, like guys, if you're listening, encourage your wives to learn how to shoot, get training, and to carry because whether we like it or not, I mean, in 2024, sexist behavior and all the stuff they bitch about, but. Women saying, hey, I was intimidated. There were two men are much more likely to have that story, you know, be believed and be fine and actually have the benefit of having a firearm with them. Um, But the second the second component of that being if you train, right, if you know how to carry yourself, conduct yourself professionally and effectively and you're not just waving a gun around. It's a way different story. And like you said, right, control the narrative. It's a way different narrative than, hey, they're waving a gun around. You're walking around with this gun. You're freaking out. You're pointing at people on accident. You got an ND because you're, you know, your stress levels are through the roof and everything. Uh, I mean, hopefully not. Right. But it's just one of those things like why you should carry, I think, and then why it's also actually reasonable whether you pull the trigger or not to have to have training and be capable and to be competent with that firearm and have that, that deepened level of, of understanding. And so is there, is there really a legal sense of when you, that situation crossed the line for that individual where they were then justified? Um, or does it just really depend on what the scenario is? Well, for our, if she would actually have shot them, the, the standard is, would you, and were they committing a felony against you? or the statute goes on to say enter on your dwelling, an occupied vehicle, meaning like carjacking, mm-hmm. um, place of business, place of employment, or the immediate premises thereof, which means like right outside. So that really wouldn't apply. We don't know exactly what they were doing. If it was kidnapping, we got a felony, but we don't know what they were up to. There's two of them. They're moving in on our, you know, a jury's probably going to look at that and say, well, I would have been scared too, is this lady. So, um, but if you're defending yourself or another person, um, and there's reasonable grounds to understand there's an intent to do some great bodily injury or commit, you know, cause death. 
which I think she could probably fall into that one, then you can be justified in using that as well. And again, brandishing wouldn't apply here because it's it's self-defense. You can explain why it's self-defense. Um, I always use the example, if you go to a, a flea market or an antique store and you've got your gun on your hip outside the waistband, let's say, and you say, how much is your uh, lamp here? And they're like, it's $15. And you, you kind of grab your gun. You don't take it out of the holster. You just touch it so that they see you've touched the handle. And you say, are you sure it isn't $10? That's a pretty clear example. But I'd say that's yeah. brandishing because you're using it on a coral and it's not self-defense. So, um, but yeah, you just, just control. I, oh, I, can't, I can't stand uh that is a concept i'll be honest with you like we don't have constitutional carry but i think the outside the waistband thing while it's legal it's just one more example of how out of touch i think our governments really are with the times you know uh like you guys have constitutional carry and they even had the foresight i I, as somebody who lives in another state right have to have a holster someplace to carry it safely and things like that whereas here in michigan we actually allow open carry uh, so it's totally fine to walk around. And I've seen guys with like shitty Serpa holsters or those, whatever the crappy ones that come with like the, um, the Springfield, the XDS, right. It comes with that crappy holster and the crappy double mag pouch. I've seen guys like no shit walking around a, this was a couple of years ago when, uh, when Pokemon go, that stupid game on the phone was like real big. And you had tons of people walk around this, this public park. Right. And he's, this dude's pushing a stroller with his pants sagging and these crappy holster and, and, and mag carrier literally fallen out, like falling off of him. Um, but it's totally illegal. Can't say anything to him. Can't stop him. Can't tell him, Hey, well, I mean, you probably could tell him he's a fucking idiot and you should get a better holster, um, <laughs> and a belt. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, the whole outside the waistband, I think it makes me fucking cringe. I get it. It's good, good for some people, but for me, it's really people just that work on a farm and it kind of draw the line there personally. Or, or maybe it's like a status symbol, like, look at me, I've got a gun, which is really bad for the Second Amendment community. You're making people, you're making me uncomfortable and I'm carrying a gun every day. How are you making the soccer mom who doesn't think you should have a gun feel? That's who's going to call the legislature and ask for new laws that we don't need. And I see that, too. They'll be wearing basketball shorts and surf a holster hanging off. I could literally just slap the holster and gun and it's going to hit the floor. So yeah. I, if I approach them at all with that, I try to just say... Um, Oh, what kind of gun you got there? Uh, and try to do it diplomatically. And we open up a discussion. I said, well, I'll offer a class on uh, concealed carry if you're interested in learning more about it. Or And then I get them in. And obviously, it's a business for profit. But I get them in there and we talk about why what you're doing is a terrible idea without calling them just, you know, fucking idiot subway. So, which is totally justified to do. But I try to do it in a more tactful way. Um, but yeah, you see that kind of stuff. I just posted on our Instagram feed for my, my firearms company today about the Serpa holsters. There was an officer, I forget in which state, Kentucky maybe, who was training and working as a police officer and shot herself in the leg with that index finger activated Serpa holster. So she's suing Blackhawk now. I think I saw that. I think I, I think I saw that post because <laughs> I was going to bring it up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, I think it was Tactical Rifleman years ago did a video. It's friends don't let friends carry Serpa holsters. And surprisingly you still see an odd number of those things out there in the wild and they're it's a terrible design like it really mm-hmm. is uh and I, I that's one of the things i'll put on there at the uncle mike's where I, I will actually say that you may be safer or as safe with no holster as you are with a serpa um right just terrible and for those listeners that don't know what we're talking about with serpa it's basically an outside the waistband holster 
that's got an active retention mechanism, meaning when you grab the gun, if you just pull on the handle of it, it's not going to come out of the holster. You have to depress this lever on the outside of the holster with your index or trigger finger. Once you press that, then you pull up the gun and it releases it. The problem is people that get a little too hurry or don't practice with it, a little sloppy, whatever, that trigger finger continues on right into the trigger guard and hits the triggers and pulling it up and they shoot themselves in the leg or foot. So I see it with my agency, some of the some officers that work there and uh, you see it with students in class. I don't, I don't usually tell the officers anything. Uh, cause again, a lot of them been there longer than I have, but mm-hmm. students, I definitely counsel them. We haven't banned it from our classes, but we're debating that along with maybe some brands of firearms. Um, I don't know your thoughts on Kimber, but the fact that you got to run four to 500 rounds through that gun to make it fully functional and where it cycles every time. Why is that not in big red letters on the box? Most people I, don't know that they don't read their manual. I love looking at Kimbers because they are really nice looking guns. True. I will never ever advocate to anybody. They should spend money on a Kimber unless it's just to go, Hey, I want to shoot on the range. Like my, my dad wanted one and I was like, uh, I'm, I'm really going to have to insist that you don't, <laughs> um, right. for one, you shouldn't carry a 1911, sir. Uh, and apparently I was not clear enough because now he wants like a SIG P320 and those also have their, their separate issues. But, um, you know, no, I, I, it's, and so let me, let me ask you this with like talking about the Serpas, right. And you have so many NDs, like it, it's, it's an internet meme and has been for almost a decade now because how bad it is. If you were out in public or even just in your own home, right, and you have a negligent discharge, right, because of this holster, from a legal perspective, is it just like your neighbors get pissed because, you know, it went bang? Or can charges actually be brought against you because you discharged a firearm in uh, a suburban neighborhood due to this holster? It's going to depend on your city's laws, but I would think most cities probably, if you're in incorporated areas, has a law against discharging a firearm in the city. So hold it in and they can prove you did that. That could be a charge. Um, we had a case in a neighboring uh, city not too long ago. A gentleman was cleaning his gun, um, or maybe he was taking it out of the holster after carrying it that day. But regardless, he was putting it into his gun safe loaded. And when he did that, he accidentally pulled the trigger. Finger was out where it should have been if he was following the rules mm-hmm. of gun safety. The bullet fired through the, the sheetrock wall. Uh, I don't know if it was a full metal jacket or a hollow point, but went right through the sheetrock wall into the neighboring apartment and killed a pregnant uh, military member of the military. And oh, he's shit. charged with at least manslaughter, I think. So, I mean, there's a good chance you could be charged with something. If nobody calls it in and you don't know, maybe you patch your sheetrock and no harm, no foul. But it depends on who else is injured or if they can prove what you did. So, yeah, it happens, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe worth it to invest in a better holster sooner rather than later, especially because you can actually get decent holsters, like decent Kydex holsters even. And I don't usually advocate for buying those off of like Amazon, but if you're really hard up, I know for about 40 bucks, you can get something that's fairly mm-hmm. decent. So um, Blackhawk makes uh, an outside the waistband holster. It's not quite a Safari Land grade. Safari Land's like top of the line. Uh, law enforcement mm-hmm. professionals usually wear those. But they'd have a, a Blackhawk Omnivore that will fit probably a hundred different guns. You, you configure the inside of it. It's very boxy and large, but it's an outside the waistband holster. It's not one of these paddle holsters. I hate those too. I want my belt to actually go through loops so that holster is not going to come off no matter what. Hundred um, percent. But it's got a thumb thumb release on this, so there's no trigger finger getting involved to get that gun out. 
Um, so if you're going to carry an outside the waistband holster and you want that active retention, I mean, concealed, you don't need it necessarily because if you're concealing it properly, they won't know you have it until you've drawn it. But right. if you're going to carry that, look at a Safari land, look at a, maybe that Blackhawk Omnivore. Blackhawk's the one that makes the Serpa as well. Plus there's knockoffs of it uh, cheaper on, on the oh, internet, yeah. Amazon, for instance. But Which is hilarious. Better options you, have cheaper. <laughs> you have to go cheaper on a Serpa. I mean, of all things, you usually find them for like 25 bucks on your, your big box, like, uh, sporting goods stores. Uh, mm -hmm. they're, they're everywhere. They're terrible, but they're everywhere. They really should be discontinued by Blackhawk. Uh, Homeland security did a report several years ago. And if you get a little bit of dirt rocks, whatever it might be into that, that mechanism, it could mm -hmm. lock up the gun and you can't get the gun out. So if you can't hit the trigger, you have a paperweight you can beat somebody with at that point. Yeah. I've seen videos of locking up, uh, years and years ago, like right probably almost 10 years ago when I was just getting into, uh, starting to shoot and buy, you know, my first holsters and stuff like that. And guys trying to run and, and do some drills and stuff. And the guy literally couldn't get his, uh, I think it was a Beretta out of the holster because it locked up because he, mm -hmm. he went prone or something and got some shit in there and you then you're totally screwed. A lot of our newer students that bring those in, I, like I said, I don't chastise them or call them an idiot or anything. I want to, I want to make it a teaching moment. Yeah, no, we 100%. can all learn from. And again, at, at one point in time, I didn't know these things were an issue. I mean, I, I, I have a surf holster. I bought years and years ago, probably right after I bought the Uncle Mike's. So you know, it's a progression. <laughs> we all learn and, and and rise from the bottom there. But um, you just got to try to educate and and just look at the research. You don't have to take people's opinions if there's studies out there and. Um, they've spent millions of dollars, millions of dollars at law enforcement in these re research projects. So benefit from that research, read up on it. And if you agree. So, I mean, you mentioned that that could technically fall under manslaughter and I'll, I'll grab that and try and transition us here into this. Uh, cause I wanted to ask you about this. It's, it's recent here in Michigan is with the Oxford high school shooter, his mother's case, or I should say trial, his mother's trial, I believe just concluded. And I believe she was found guilty of manslaughter. Um, <clears throat> now, I don't know exactly on the legal side of things where we draw the line between homicide and manslaughter. Other, I think it's the, uh, like the, uh, not premeditation, but the, the wanton intent. Uh, intent. I'm sorry. Yep. There it is right, right there. Yeah. Hey man, you should, you should, you should practice law. That's, that's good. Um, <laughs> well, this gun thing doesn't work out with teaching firearms. So maybe I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah. I hear there's money there. Um, right. but she, uh, was found guilty and some of the stuff I put, and I, with a lot of this stuff, I'll actually go to like CNN, which I hate going to them for news, but I do like to see what the other side reports from time to time. Cause it's, I think it's going to be well-rounded and, basically came out and said, nope, uh, it was my husband's responsibility to make sure the gun was secured. And, but then at the same time, I guess within this whole proceeding, uh, came out and said, she doesn't trust him to cut the grass adequately, but she trusted him to secure this firearm for her son who she, and, and there's a lot of pieces to this. If any of you guys have read into this, you know, this kid was unstable. They knew it. They met with him and it, with the kid and a counselor earlier that day. There's so many opportunities here to have interjected and prevented this, which is what makes it this much worse. But now it's almost, I'm pretty sure this is starting to establish a dangerous precedent too, for us in maybe nationwide. I don't know. Um, but can you talk about that a little bit in the manslaughter and like really the liability that ends up being pulled into this by basically through inaction? So there is the crumbly case is the name of it. You can look it up on Google. 
uh, was in Michigan. I think it was this week they did find her guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. And I'll talk about what that is. And it was one count for each student that her son killed at the high school with the pistol that the husband bought. It's a nine millimeter SIG. Um, and of course, I'm basing my comments on the various news stories like you're reading. There's not been an appeal yet. There may end up being an appeal, but I like to go straight to the source and not get, you know, journalists involved. And I'm reading their synopsis of something because, you know, if they get it wrong or they throw a little shade on it or whatever. Yeah. But I'll just put that out there that that's where I'm getting my information. This is a brand new case. Um, but basically, they took about 11 hours to consider the case. Um, they did find her guilty of the four counts of the four students that died. There were seven others that were injured. Um, apparently it's the state's most deadly shooting that they've had there. So in Michigan, and again, I'm not licensed in Michigan. I'm, I'm only a Mississippi lawyer, a, a simple country lawyer, as we like to say. <laughs> um, but from the, the research I've done on the news and things involuntary manslaughter in Michigan is like a lower level of homicide. So there's murder and uh, capital murder and those kind of things. Well, this is a lower one. And it's basically a, a type of homicide that covers accidental killings where maybe it's negligent or, or maybe criminal action, depending on what, what happened here, it was negligence. So it can be up to 15 years in jail, a fine of up to $7,500 or both. It's in the discretion of the court on that if they can prove all the elements. Um, malice is the big difference. So there's no intent to cause the death of these people. But through your action or inaction, you've negligently caused it. You've, you've had some, you've played a major role in happening, even though you didn't go in there and pull the trigger and aim the gun at them. That's basically mm-hmm. what that is. Um, so I think there's three elements to that. The person caused the death of the victim. That is, they died as a result of the individual's act or inaction. In doing that act that caused the victim's death, um, they acted in a grossly negligent manner. Or in doing the act, um, they intended to injure the victim. That would be voluntary. And then also the individual caused the death without a lawful excuse or justification. If it's a self-defense scenario or a law enforcement type shooting that's been justified, that's not going to be part of that. But um, you don't need malice for this. You don't need intent. You just have to show that they had a duty to do better and they didn't like an ordinary person kind of standard. But the case is all about parental responsibility. When is a parent legally and criminally liable for their actions of their minor child, somebody under the age of 18? I don't know if your your age of majority is 18 or 21 in Michigan, but let's assume it's 18. Mm-hmm. So the gun was apparently bought as a Christmas present uh, by the husband. Again, I'm getting this from news stories. Um, and she described the gun purchased as a Christmas present on social media. So there's, you know, you're putting it out there for the world and putting your business out there. Some people can't help but tell everything they know and do. Um, I'm not going to mention the shooter's name. Like you said earlier, I, I just don't believe yeah. in doing that. Some of these people do it for yeah. fame and I'm not going to justify that and, and put it out there. But um, he's in jail for life without parole. That's already been taken care of. He didn't testify to trial. But um, the husband, who is innocent until proven guilty, they're going to be trying him, I think, in March. Um so we'll see how that goes. But um, in other states, cases, in, in previous cases, parents have pleaded guilty something lesser. Uh, negligence, uh, you know, child neglect, something like that. If their child used a weapon out of their home and injured somebody, usually pled down. So that one's unusual here. But you have like the worst set of circumstances and just no justifiable reason for her to have done or not done the things she did. I'll go through some of those. This this is an outlier case. So this is like the worst case scenario. 
So I don't know that this is going to be a radical change in the law. I mean, it'll depend on what each state statute has for involuntary manslaughter. Maybe some legislatures will change that to fit this kind of thing. But this one was particularly egregious. I mean, there's so many opportunities that were missed to stop this. Yeah, it's, um, it was really upsetting when they when they told that story on the news and explain and things came out a couple of days later that the counselor knew uh, I don't know local police may have been notified I'm not sure on that 100% but there was more than one adult who had reasonable access to this little fucker that could have stepped in and said no and nobody did a damn thing right and that's what makes it that much i mean just to me that much worse there were text messages used at trial a lot of this is written evidence so that's better than just witness testimony of what they heard this is her own words or his own words and you know yeah, text she texted messages him and said, please don't please don't do this whatever you know and it's i don't think she knew exactly what he was going to do but she knew he was going to do something and instead of calling instead of driving up there and you I mean like you know, I, I teach high school musicians. Like I know the impact of one raging mother. Like that will be that that can be. Like we'll have a whole band of 150 kids out there and 20 instructional staff, and one irate parent will stop all of it. So if you're telling me that she couldn't have gone up there and caused a huge scene, or you know what, hey, bust through security, walk through the metal detector, and not stop when they tell you to, they're gonna call the cops, and then you have somebody there, and now you've created. A situation and yeah you might have had some other shit to deal with but you know what you wouldn't be dealing with this right apparently the the son had texted her about he thought their house was haunted by demons he had messaged other friends that he had insomnia paranoia he was hearing voices um she didn't always respond to the text message attorneys are going to make something out of any little detail no matter what you do they're going to try to find a way to you know pass that a certain way I mean, nobody responds to everybody's every text message every time. Yeah. You might give them a thumbs up or you might just leave them on read, whatever. But they made a deal out of that. Um, her and her husband texted back and forth. None of this is privileged communications. It's not with their attorney. So all that's fair game. Apparently, they they kind of cast her as an, a cold mother who was negligent and cared more about her two horses than her son. She talked about them more, the horses more at work than she did her child. Um, one of the first messages she had with uh, the horse farm owner after the shooting occurred was when the, the lady texted her to check on her Are you okay she heard about the school shooting she's like yeah i need to sell my horses not the maybe response you'd probably expect from somebody whose child just you know shot up a school but well and, and um, she, uh, her and her husband actually took off and went into hiding uh and correct. actually fled uh which i don't think a lot of people know but they actually went into hiding they resisted i don't know if it's technically resisting arrest or whatever but they were not making themselves accessible law enforcement immediately after the fact i've seen other cases here in the newspaper locally where it sounds like it would have been justified except for the fact that the shooter fled after the shooting and i'm like man if he'd have just known the law this guy had been harassed that's what i'm thinking of and beaten up and attacked by this person that he ended up shooting, but then he fled. And I think that's what blew up his mm-hmm. whole self-defense case. Not that this is self-defense, of course, in yeah. any way. Um, Mrs. Crumbly, the, the defendant, took the, the boy to the, the gun range a few days before the shooting, let him shoot this particular gun. Um, the jury was questioned later on after the trial, and they said the fact that she had possession of the gun on the video at the, the shooting range, she's the last known person to have possession of it. That was a big deal. I guess they looked at it as she let him access the gun, no matter who bought it. Yeah. I mean, if it comes down to what you can prove and you can 
that's the last video evidence she's in possession. She let him have it. And there's videos everywhere nowadays, you know, bank ATMs, cameras and homes. Um, on the day of the shooting, again, missed opportunities. Um, the parents were actually called into the school that morning about him. He had done some drawings about shooting the school and people dying and just some really stuff that would make you question like this kid might not have it all together. Maybe there's something going on. This is somebody we might need to search their locker and book bag. I don't know why the school didn't do that, but they came in, uh, talked to the school for less than 15 minutes and basically all agreed that he should stay in school that day. Uh, the, the parents allegedly said they couldn't take off from work to let him go home. And somebody there was worried about him being suicidal. So they didn't want him home by himself. Well, if you're worried about somebody being suicidal, why would you not search their backpack and and locker for you know, or, where the desk they take sit, them you know? home, take them to a hospital, take them, I, 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 leave him alone? That's the solution. I'm sorry, it, sorry, or, or leave him in school, but, yeah, yeah, without without searching anything. It's just crazy. So uh, the schools that I can't believe the school did that too, but I don't know that there's any charges or lawsuits against them. But I would expect some of those parents are probably mm-hmm. going to sue the school district. Um, there's some back and forth about the drawings and the, the things he wrote uh, between the parents that came up. A school counselor brought his mental health issue up apparently at that. And the the parents said, we'll get him counseling. We just can't do it today. We got to go back to work. We can't miss work. Her boss testified she could have definitely missed work. It's not a big deal. She could have brought him to work with him if she wanted to with her. Um, he had a journal that they discovered in his school locker or his book bag. So it was something they could have found before the shooting where the child had written um, things about planning to cause bloodshed, drawing pictures of guns, writing police for help about his mental health. He, he stated in there, apparently that his parents wouldn't listen to him about getting help or a therapist. She said she'd never seen the journal, but that's again, if they'd have searched that morning, that's something they could have found, which would have been another clue to maybe we need to search this kid and take him right now for mm. a, a mental health checkup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a voicemail from the high school that was played. Uh, stating that her son had been looking at bullets. That's what their, their word is. Obviously, that's cartridges, we would say, in the shooting world, but looking at bullets on his phone in class. So there's text messages between the son and her about that. She's like, seriously, you're doing that? And he's like, I was just curious about the calibers. So her response, which, again, doesn't make her look like the most responsible parent, was uh, LOL. Um, what was it? Something about just try. I'm not mad at you, but you have to learn how to not get caught. That's the text message she sent back to him. So you build, you build all this stuff up, and it's just an overwhelming wave coming at her that I don't see how she could have possibly beat. Um, there was just so many opportunities for her to intervene, to listen to the son, to check up on him, to take him for mental health, and they didn't do that. So they said any any little thing they could have done could have avoided all this, and that violated that ordinary person care standard. Um, you just you didn't do anything. So by doing that taking him to the gun range, the last person to possess the gun, you should have locked it up. And now we've got kids dead and hurt. So that's why she's going to be, she's going to be sentenced later on, but she's going to be going to jail. I'm sure. Do you think with this happening now this way, right. And, and and it it almost doesn't even matter that this is extraordinary. So it's not even really extraordinary circumstances. It's kind of just like the perfect shit storm, you know, uh, because I, I guess to me, and I'm not a, a lawyer, I don't think there's anything extraordinary about these circumstances. I th- I find it surprising that she didn't do anything and didn't step in, but I don't know if I would use the word extraordinary, but do you think that this is going to set a dangerous or, or impactful 
legal precedent because we've been seeing for years, right? Uh, groups like Giffords and these you know gun control groups and everything, right? That they've been pushing to try and sue gun manufacturers, right? That that like the wanting to hold a third party responsible. So not the victim, not the shooter, but the third party. So the gun store that sold them the gun or the manufacturing company that produces it. Right. And that's been a, that's been an ongoing battle for almost a decade, I'm sure. Right. Do you think that this sets a precedent that's going to be leveraged in the future? It's definitely something they're going to attack on and cite to. Um, so in, in Mississippi, probably in most States, this would be considered persuasive authority. So it happened there under their statute, but Mississippi does not have to follow the, let's say the statutes are worded exactly the same. Mississippi still doesn't have to follow that law or that, that outcome in that situation. So persuasive can still persuade the court to follow that though. So it's a possibility that it's going to affect cases in other States. Hopefully the takeaway is that parents, I mean, you need to, mental health is a big issue that nobody's addressing. Congress is too lazy to actually do anything about that. It would actually require them to work hard and talk to one another and try to work out something. That's just something they're not going to do, don't want to do. But hopefully parents learn from these kind of things and maybe take some steps to not put a gun in the hands of children that anybody with a brain would know has issues and, and may use that in a, a harmful way. But I, I think it's going to affect some cases. But, you know, the left, the left wing gun control folks are definitely going to jump all over this and try to push for um cases and prosecutors in other states to make that so there's there's statutory law which is the code the the actual law that are written down like the involuntary uh manslaughter case uh, statute and then there's case law which let's say she appeals this decision she appeals this case that'll eventually be an appellate decision that we can go read and cite to that's the kind of thing that a court would look at and it becomes part of what's called the common law so for michigan that's definitely going to be precedent if it's anywhere near that circumstance, an attorney's job is to try to distinguish from cases that are harmful to their their client to say, well, this one's different because they didn't do all of those negligent things like she did. But it's definitely going to be something definitely parents in Michigan are going to have to contend with if their child gets a gun from them and goes out and use it in a way that's harmful. Um, we have in Mississippi something called negligent entrustment. It's a civil action. So back in the, let's say, 1920s, I think, a father let his son use his Model A or Model T Ford, knowing that the, the teenager was reckless and just not paying attention to his surroundings. And of course, the, the son ran into another vehicle and caused injury. So I think that's the first case in Mississippi that set up negligent entrustment. You should have known that giving him this item was going to cause injury to somebody else. So the dad got sued there. So before this case, for years, I've been telling students, please don't make case law in Mississippi that's going to head this direction. Yeah. Um, if you've got somebody that you shouldn't have a gun or you got a question about their mental health status, you got to just, you got to do the right thing. Try to get them treatment and try to lock those guns up, keep them out of their, their presence. But um, I've had, I've had some parents actually ask me for an opinion on that. Should they buy their child a gun? And um, they were concerned particularly in that, that instance of what's going on with them. But it's very, you know, again, it's individual. Every child's different. When is one child old enough to take to the gun range versus another? Uh, when is one child old enough to own a gun versus another? Um, it, so I can't say there's like a hard and fast rule that ought to be set on that, but you have to know your children and you have to hopefully educate them early on about gun safety, make them appreciate how, what the kind of damage this thing can do. 
I, I use the example of abstinence only education. That doesn't prevent pregnancies to tell kids don't have sex. You don't tell them anything else. Just don't, yeah. don't do it. They're going to do what they do. So to just not teach them about guns, maybe you don't have guns in your house or maybe your guns are under lock and key, but when they go down the street to Johnny's house, if he leaves, if his dad leaves the 38 in the nightstand, un, un, you know, unlocked, have you taught them that situation? What do you do if your friend pulled out a gun? What do you do if you encounter a gun laying somewhere? Part of that goes into having a family plan uh, with your spouse, significant other, and your children. I mean, if I go to a restaurant, and I'm kind of getting off in the weeds now, but if I go to a restaurant, we talk about who's going to monitor the, the entry exit door. Um, if I'm carrying and the person I'm with is not, they have no reason to see the front door. I do because I can actually do something about it if somebody harmful came in. So we'll say I've got the door and you've got the door, whatever. Having a plan, family plan with your family. What if somebody comes into that restaurant to do harm? Do you have a code word that you can use with your significant other or children that they know head for the bag exit? We don't need to talk about it. What's going on? What do you see? Just go and get on the yeah. phone with 911. Um, same thing with using a code for picking up your kids at school. If, if they go to pick them up and say, hey, your dad sent me. Okay, what's the code? I mean, it's a very easy way, just a minor plan to keep your kids safe. So those are things you got to talk about. Family plans are really important. Well, and you started them start your kids younger, you know, I mean, you don't have to buy your kid their own gun to teach them firearm safety, right. firearms education. And, and I have a friend who introduced, I think, uh, seven years old, took their, their daughter to the range and, it, it, and really it, it kind of the way they explained it anyways. And I really liked it was it, uh, it erodes or eliminates that that mystery, like that aura around, Ooh, it's a firearm. You know, I just want to pull the trigger to see what's going to happen. I just, you know, want to see how far I can pull it before the, you know, the gun goes off. I didn't mean to shoot it, whatever. You get that all out of the way. Right. And they, right. they develop that understanding and that respect. So whether it, it, they could just, they could hate, you know, I'm sure there's thousands of kids out there whose dads or moms, whatever hunt and love it. And the kid hates it no matter how hard they tried, but the kid has that respect for firearms and understands, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go pick that up and, and, you know, fuck around with this thing. Cause I know, I know what it is. Right. Um, you know, and, and this is the kind of stuff, you know, I, I, we get to this point as a society where we have just become lazy and these are the kinds of things that come from, you know, it, poor parenting, pure and simple, like better parenting, more affectionate parenting, uh, more attentive parenting would have prevented so much of this. I mean, you can you can skip talking about preventing this shooting. This this kid's predicament, this shooter's predicament with his mental health issues and everything else could have never been a thing if his parents had done a better job. And now you know, we, we look at big picture and we talk about this and it's, you know, you get the people screaming, well, those kids didn't deserve to die and they didn't, and they didn't need to die and they didn't. And now that's being leveraged against people like, like me that live in the state and it's being leveraged into gun laws. And I get it. Everyone wants something to be done. I, I can only imagine the, 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 the feeling of loss. Right. But we need to do something. It's unacceptable. Well, what about that story? Everything you walk through, Jason, right? What about that? You There was at least probably five laws that were broken through everything that went on there, right? Uh, I think in Michigan, it's 21. I'm pretty sure it's 21 for a handgun. I was like 24 and I bought my first one, so I don't know for sure. I never went through it. Uh, under 21 in possession of a handgun. That's a law broken, right? 
in possession on school property. That's another one. You shot somebody. That's another one. You took a life. That's another one. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so that's four right there off the top of my head. Um, I'm sure there's more to all. You know what I mean? Like we we have, I think, enough laws. I do. I think that if we, as a society, policed ourselves uh, from like a moral, like I and I forget the term that you used, but that that every person, like common decency, like to just stand up and do something to say something like, Hey, um, sorry, fuck your feelings. I don't care. This feels dangerous. And not in that weird Karen way where you freak out because somebody's shirt rode up at the gas station, but in a way where you knew you saw like all of, all of the warning signs were there and you did nothing. And yet we, as a society, as a country, uh, and you mentioned Congress and they, they can't, they won't spend the time to actually pass anything meaningful or effective here because I, I think because it generates too much revenue, it's too big an issue to campaign on. Why would you, why would you fix it? You know, like, why would you cure cancer? Makes too much money. Um, it, it, we, I think that we are more to blame as a society than it is an issue that needs to be solved with another law. I think we have more than enough. They cover more than enough contingencies. I mean, some of that shit is so weird and out of date. It doesn't, matter right yeah, i don't think we can legislate ourselves out of these problems a gun-free zone it can also be called a no self-defense zone i mean it's mm-hmm. you're literally telling them fish in the barrel right here if you bring a gun in enough there's no magic wall stopping that i don't know if this school had metal detectors or not i mean those are a great option if you cause a funnel situation where they have to go through it and can't enter other ways but that's not gonna you know necessarily that's only as good as whoever's monitoring the metal detector so uh, but yeah, it starts with family. It starts with home life. Um, you know, some people go to church, some people don't. But the decline in in religious services attendance, I feel like I'm not a you know a statistician or anything, but I feel like that's correlated to the rise in crimes and just the wanton killing and shooting of people. I mean, it used to be if you, you had an argument with somebody, maybe fists would fly, but a gun was just out of the you know just out of question. But here we are, we're going that direction. So yeah, it's I, I don't. There's not an easy answer to it, but mental health is definitely a big part. Part of the issue with that with Congress, why they're they're being lazy about it, it'd be hard work. Where do you draw the line? Um, I'm sad, so I shouldn't have a gun. Um, I'm clinically depressed, so I should not be allowed to buy a gun. I've got schizophrenia and hear voices, so I should not be allowed. To, I mean, you know, some there's different. Where do you draw the line and say this is too much, but you're okay over here? Well, and, and um, that level of, of ambiguity, that like gray area is what makes things like these red flag laws so scary from those of us that are just the common citizenry, right? Because right. Like you said, it's difficult. It is difficult to put an actual box around this and, and fairly define what's a danger, what's not, whatever. But, but it, we somehow managed to pass into law in this state. It's because of the case we just spoke on. That now anybody can have their what their firearms seized because there's what one single judge deems to be reasonable justification for it. And we got some pretty liberal judges out there. I mean, like it could be just somebody who's a hard line Democrat who thinks no one needs a gun. And that's enough for your local PD to come in, confiscate your firearms, and then you just have to sit and wait and hope that you get your day in court and that things go your way. 
more or less. Some some of those cases, they never return all the firearms to you either. Even if you've proven that you're not a danger or whatever, there's cases out there. There's also cases I've read about. I don't know which state, but a battered woman has left her husband and she's got a gun for self-defense. He finds out where she is and calls it in and gets her under a red flag law. They confiscate her gun and then he goes and kills her. I mean, that's happened. You can, you can Google that and, and check that out. So you got to you got to think these things through. These legislatures a lot of times make new laws, but have they really considered all the ins and outs? And, OK, you, you think you fixed this one, but what other problems, new problems have you created? Exactly. They don't a lot of times know where the rubber meets the road with that. Yeah, there's a lot there. You know, there's there's a lot of there's just the context and nuance and detail and. Um, and that's where, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm so appreciative of being able to to kind of get you here and and pick your brain and have this discussion. Um, if because we're kind of coming up to it here, if people do have questions, uh, you know, or looking for insight or on the legal side of things or to get better training in conjunction with the legal understanding that comes with it, because I, I know there's a wide array right of cpl courses out there some do a great job some do enough to check the boxes um where can people find find you or contact you if they want to reach out for for questions or assistance probably the easiest way would be through instagram messenger uh at beard mohawk um i came up with that because i heard a phrase years ago that a, a beer is just a mohawk for 30 somethings and i was like you know what i like that i'm gonna go with that so at beard mohawk is my instagram profile uh, name how to find a good instructor in your area is the problem. Now, I mean, if you're in, you know, South Mississippi, maybe I can help you out with that. But if you're in Nevada or Detroit or somewhere, you're probably not going to fly here for what I offer. And unfortunately, once you get your certification to be an instructor, nobody that certifies you ever checks up on you again. They don't ask to see your curriculum. They don't come in to make sure you've lost it. I mean, you got the certification. If you pay and renew it, you get it. it there's no quality control at that point. Um, I guess, you know, reviews of the company is one way to go. Personal references is a really good one. If you've got somebody that's taken the class and somebody you trust, that's a good way to go. That's where we get most of our business. We don't really advertise or, I mean, I'll, I'll stick some stuff on Facebook or whatever. We don't pay for ads and marketing. So most of ours is word of mouth, but it's really hard to figure out who's going to be the quality instructor and who's up there the FUD, you know, those kind of folks that, Maybe they're, you know, training in the military 35 years ago, not to pick on veterans, but they think that qualifies them to teach the law on self-defense in addition to firearms. Um, you know, not everybody's going to be a lawyer that teaches firearms. I don't know of another one from the middle of my state down to the coast that does it, but not saying there aren't, but I don't know of any. But you, you just got to find a good instructor, and there's no quality control for that, unfortunately. Um, I've talked about that with some other training companies. Like, we need to have, like, a like the certified organic for food products. They got to meet certain yeah. standards to get that stamp. We need something like that. I don't know how we come up with that, but I, I've met some terrible instructors, uh, probably the worst. I'll tell you this story real quick. I was in a Academy sports looking at some ammunition and struck up a conversation with this guy that's looking at ammo. And he says, yeah, I teach the firearm lessons. And I said, Oh, I do too. So yeah, I work with a lot of teachers and um, I don't charge them anything. I said, well, that's very noble of you. That's great. Cause teachers need to know, you know, how to use the firearms as well. Well, I, I have them uh, either wet their hands before they handle the guns or maybe even put some kind of a, a lubricant, like maybe Vaseline on them to simulate the stress they're going to be under. And I'm like mortified that this guy apparently is certified to teach firearms mm -hmm. lessons, according to him. I don't know who he was, mm -hmm. but 
nobody checks up on you. And there needs to be some kind of not just to pay a fee and get your, your certificate renewed, but who's who's determining who's going to your class to make sure you're not giving the wrong material. You're not teaching dangerous techniques or crazy shit like that. I mean, that's that just, is he should not be certified. He shouldn't be teaching anybody how to wash a car. So the only time I've ever heard anybody mention do anything like that was years ago. And it was to explain the value of stippling on a pistol. It was Chris Costa talking about if you ever put like a good amount of dish soap on your hands and then try and grip a gun did not advocate for training that way uh, or anything just purely to understand the value of stippling on a firearm. That shit's crazy. God, I up un- un- unloaded. I could see that, but not to be going to the gun range and live firing with other people around. That's no. just insanely dangerous. Yeah. Which I don't think that's what he was advocating for. So, yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, and, and I mean, but that's the kind of stuff you run into. I and mean, there's all the videos, right? People shooting. There's a guy here in Michigan that me and my buddy met. God, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, nine years ago, something went to a local cigar bar. He overheard us talking and came over and started talking. He's an instructor. And then, you know, about 40 minutes in, uh, well, you know, I, I actually, I got myself in a little bit of trouble. You know, I lost my, uh, you know, my, my credential, but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get it back. I mean, how do how the fuck do you lose your credential? Dude shot a student through a door at the gun range on accident. I was wow. like, okay. Well, then I told my boss about it at work and, uh, fun, uh, funny enough, that's the range she frequented. Um, so <laughs> it just, it shows you, you know, and, and I think I've talked about it on the pod before, but I mean, really you got to look at who your instructors are and the, the, the on paper resume, just like you said, just cause they were, you know, former military doesn't mean they're going to be a good teacher or a safe teacher or a knowledgeable teacher. So you really do, like you said, word of mouth, uh, from a, a trusted friend is really going to be, um, you know, the best, the best way to handle that. But, uh, but Jason, this has been great, dude. I really, really appreciate you making the time to, to go through all of this and, and, and talk to that case. Cause I know it's, it's incredibly impactful here in Michigan. And I have a feeling it will be in the next couple of years here, unfortunately in our, in our, in our country and, and everything. It's been absolutely awesome, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I enjoy your podcast. Thanks, man. I, I I try. It's usually just, you know, having good, uh, good quality folks like yourself come on that are willing to talk to me, but uh, appreciate that and glad that, uh, yeah, and hopefully this episode, right, helps some people learn some shit and uh, anybody listening, if you guys do have questions, not that I don't want you to message me, but please don't message me. Reach out to Jason. He knows. I don't know shit about shit. That's why I have him here. <laughs> so and if uh, it's if it's a state I I'm not licensed in, so I can't give you legal advice. Maybe I can direct you to somebody there that could help. So yeah. I don't if you ever find somebody that says they've mastered the law or mastered medicine, run away. It's a it's a <laughs> practice of law, practice of medicine. They say that for a reason. But I'll I, if I don't know, I'll tell you and I'll try to find help you find somebody that can help. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh yeah, and hopefully that helps that helps people uh figure it out for themselves as well. That's a lot of really good information for you guys there. And I, I hope you guys enjoyed it and you don't even have to just take my word for it. You know, Jason is somebody he's, he's done writing. He's, uh, been hired to do speaking engagements. He is an attorney. He has this experience. He's a you know part-time law enforcement. It's, it's a lot of perspective packed into 
one individual who just happened to be kind enough to join me uh, for this discussion, you know, and it's serious stuff. You know, we got into a lot of things. We talked about, you know, justifiable homicide and, uh, and, and manslaughter and even things like brandishing, which are considered relatively minor, but not unimpactful. And these are all things that we need to think about. You know, it's all well and good to talk about <clears throat> the big stuff like, oh, if the country were ever to come under attack from a foreign power, right? Or uh, what what to do if there were mass chaos and unrest or something like that, right? Like it, it's, it, that's one thing. But the more realistic concern for many of us, and I pray to God that it, it is never, it never is, you know, I just, I pray that it, no one ever has to use this stuff because, you know, what it can bring upon you with it but that's not the world we live in. Uh, it's, there's consequences to all these actions and there's a lot of legal stuff that's tied up into it. And there's a lot of current events and, and things tied up into, I mean, like just everything we got into, you know, we talked about the crumbly case here in Michigan and how impactful it is for Michiganders like myself, but what it's going to mean on a national level when, you know, an appellate court gets involved and there's an appeal filed and this whole thing becomes a legal precedent. And we're already seeing other instances, obviously, I don't, I don't think as, you know, tragically like obvious of what was about to happen where nobody interjected, but uh, other instances where these events are being leveraged in the court of public opinion to pass unconstitutional laws like red flags, like safe storage laws. You know, like these uh, additional background checks and capacity limits and things like that. And yeah, we're starting to finally, through you, you know different legal efforts, win some battles at major court levels, but not at a rate that can keep up with everything that we're losing. And that's why it's important to hear people like Jason talk and, and understand the legal side of things. But you also start to understand the importance of addressing these legal issues before they become an issue. <clears throat> Reaching out and talking to your elected officials when these bills are up for discussion and even before. Hey, I'm reaching out. My name is so-and-so. You can do it by email. You can do it by phone call. You can, you can, even, you can even write a letter. That's crazy, right? Say, I just want to let you know, you represent me because I live in this city and that falls in your your area, whatever, and say, you know, I'm a pro second amendment citizen. I believe in the right to keep and bear arms. I believe that the people in my community need to be protected and we have a right to protect ourselves. I would love to hear your stance on these things. And I would welcome the opportunity to have a discussion with you. It's a fight for your rights. You know, uh, I mean, pardon the pun, but it really is. And you don't fight it by just defying it. That's one tactic. And in many instances should probably be one of the last resorts because of how consequential it can really be big picture. And, you know, we talked about some of that stuff and I know it's going to upset a lot of people. I even, I, I can see it, right? Cause I keep track of our metrics and I see how many of you guys follow and subscribe. And I know every time I say this stuff, cause it upsets people and they think I'm simping for the government or something, which uh, I'm really not. I'm just simping for reality. People unfollow when I say things like that. People don't like to hear that you shouldn't be one of these free men don't ask permission types because you really, you shouldn't. You should want to be part of a solution. If you're, and we talk about it all the time with making our 2A community, our training community better. But when it comes to your actual real community that you live in every day and making impactful changes, you guys are the first ones to jump on and, and talk to Lucas from T Rex Arms about how great he is. But you won't do it yourself because there's no notoriety tied to it. You need to do it because it's the right thing to do. 
for our lifestyle and our way of life, but just because it literally is the right thing to do, just like we talked about in that case. The right thing to do would have been for that mother or one of those counselors or teachers or somebody to step up and say something, and nobody did, and there are consequences for action and inaction. So at any rate, Jason is awesome. If you guys have questions or you just want to bounce ideas off of him, he probably can't answer everything, but he's a great resource. And one of the things you guys asked for were people, you know, lesser known people out there in the community don't have huge followings, not just giant mega influencers and stuff. Not that I don't think we've had too many of those on here, but we've had some really, really good dudes on here and, and ladies too. Got to, got to count the ladies as well. But you, Jason is one of those guys. I first encountered Jason when I was uh, maybe a year in, and it was an Instagram live he did with uh, with Garrison Readiness with uh, with Damien, and uh, you know followed his stuff ever since, and was able to you know hey I reached out hey I'd love to have you on man, uh, this is great, and it was it was a very good discussion with a lot of really beneficial and a lot of really useful information to be shared with you guys. And I look forward to bringing them back. I really do. Because this is something that's not talked about enough. You know, there are whole podcasts dedicated to the legal profession, but you know, we are concerned about self-defense and firearms and how these things impact all of us. And it's things that we should be aware of because this is, it's a hot button issue. It's an election year. And I truly, I believe that the reason we haven't solved the gun crime issue in this country is because it's too profitable. As despicable as it is to say, I think it is too profitable to push gun control and to lobby for it and have all these groups that go out and demand your money while they weaponize the tragic deaths of children and innocent people. Always comes down to money. And people want to forget because they, they, they think they're on the moral high ground. The people that are running those interest groups and asking for your money in the name of those dead children, those are politicians too. And they're lying and they're taking advantage of you and they're weaponizing tragedy. So we have to fight back. We have to fight for our interests. We have to fight for our way of life and defend ourselves. That doesn't take anything away from the lives that are lost, and it doesn't take away from the evil in the world, but we can only do so much, and it starts today. It starts right now. It starts with that seemingly inconsequential conversation with your neighbor or taking a family member to the gun range to introduce them to our culture, and it starts with that email and phone call to your elected official. At the, at the city level, it doesn't even have to be the state level. At the city level, it starts somewhere, but you have to actually start. So I, I know it gets that got really philosophical and really kind of deep, but <clears throat> the, the, the legal side of this, that's it's all interconnected and it's all intertwined. And I, I do hope you guys pulled some stuff out of this. And if nothing else, maybe it makes you consider getting some carry insurance or something like that that's going to, like a USCCA or whatever, uh, or right to bear that's going to protect you in those situations and those instances. Um, So thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening. Uh, Do our best to keep bringing this information to you guys and giving you an entertaining listen uh, above all other things. But we want to make sure this is useful and pertinent data. And as many of you, if not all of you listening, carry a gun outside of the house as part of your daily life, this is really, really helpful and really applicable. So I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something. But uh, that's it for me this week, folks. Appreciate you guys sticking around this long. We'll have another episode next week. As always, if you're still hanging out, appreciate you. Make sure you guys hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. We're on YouTube. Go check out our videos. Get those view numbers up for us so we can do more fun shit. But until next week, everybody, be safe out there. And like we always say here, work hard, train smarter, and be prepared. Be prepared.